Here we have the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and right at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a description of the people who are going to be in his kingdom. This is true of everyone who is in the kingdom, although all of us have room for improvement in each one of these qualities. But let's read this description of the Christian character that we find here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's my text for today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, my text is verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The way I intend to approach this is to ask, what does it mean to be pure in heart? To give a few examples from the scripture of people who demonstrate this quality. Then thirdly, to ask, why are they blessed? Answer given, for they shall see God. And then finally, to conclude with uh, a couple of biblical answers to how can we become more pure in heart. Several years ago, I was preaching at a church that was situated on the banks of the Kentucky River. And uh, in talking to the men of the church afterwards, I uh, became acquainted with a man who had devoted all of his leisure time to catching muskies. So muskies is a short name for a large freshwater fish that lives in Kentucky, muskalunge. And uh, they can get to be uh, in the 40-inch range. It's not all that uncommon. I think one's got to be 36 inches for, it, for you to keep it. If, you don't, if it's not bigger than 36 inches, then you've got to throw it back. So uh, It's called the fish of a thousand casts, and so it takes a lot of dedication to catch muskie. But he had, he had devoted himself to being a muskie fisher. And uh, he, I, he took me fishing, and uh, we never caught anything that day, but we had a lot of time for talk. And I asked him, how did you become a muskie fisherman? He said, well, before this, I was a bass fisherman. One day, I was out on the river and fishing, and I saw a muskie swim by. And I said, I want to catch that. And so he traded all of his bass equipment, got his bass boat, transformed into a muskie boat, and uh, all of his leisure time, he spent uh, catching muskie. That big fish went by and he said, that is what I want. And I'm using that as an illustration for what part of what it means to be pure in heart. Pure in, being pure in heart is not fundamentally just getting rid of bad stuff. It's being obsessed with one great goal. It is being 
solidly, undistractedly devoted to pursuing after God. Now, there are other, inevitably, when we think about purity, we think about things, something that's pure if it is not polluted. It's inevitable. But I think the positive meaning we need to emphasize that there is a a concentration of, of effort and energy that is put into seeking after God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Uh, some of you uh, have lived around tobacco users, uh, people who chew tobacco or dip snuff, and a lot of times those people will spit in a can, a can that formerly held Coca-Cola or Mountain Dew or something. And... Uh, so they, they also, people who spit in cans, leave them all over the place. And so it's, it's dangerous to just pick up a can and take a drink. You know, you might think that that's your, your soda and uh, it doesn't take long to, dis- to discover the mistake that you have made. Uh, it, I was at the cabin this past week with several men with whom I've been friends for years and years and there's... There's one of them who, who leaves uh, drink cans everywhere. I, I told the rest of the group, I said, if he ever gets lost in the woods, we'll have no trouble finding him. <laughs> Just follow the aluminum cans out to where he is. And uh, yesterday, as I was cleaning up and leaving, I came across one of those spit cans, just full of a big quid of tobacco and about half full of spit. And it's, you know, the can looked good. There's no indication on the outside that it was full of ambeer, but it was. Now, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he says it's not enough. One of, the, one of the emphasis is it's not enough for you to look good on the outside. It's not enough for you to have a life that seems to be characterized by good works or even a life that is observing the ceremonies of religion. It's possible to observe ceremonies of, of religion, go to church, be baptized, take the Lord's Supper, and various things like that, and your heart is like the inside of that spit can. On the outside, you look really good. No one would suspect what is going on inside your heart. But what does it mean when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart? So, well, the first thing is he's emphasizing that what is on the inside of you is what really matters, more than the outside. The outside is not unimportant. But if you make the inside clean, then the inside will work its way to the outside. And Jesus told the Pharisees, make the inside of the cup clean, and the outside of the cup will also be clean. I've also found in my years of ministry that there is a a common misunderstanding. Some of you will think, well, that's ridiculous. I've never thought of that. But there may be others, especially young people, who, who need to hear this. The heart, as when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood that's situated on the left side of your chest. I have uh, heard people say he knew a lot, but his knowledge needed to move from here to here. And I hope that they were speaking metaphorically, but I'm not always sure. I think especially among young people, little children, there's confusion that they think, How do I believe something in my heart? Don't I believe things in my head? You may be interested to know that as far as I can discern, the word brain does not appear in the Bible one single time. So we think think of 
our thinking takes place in our head. But uh, no, in the Bible, the thinking takes place in the heart. Uh, and, and you see, I'm making this motion right here because that's where my heart is. But the thinking takes place, and maybe this is a more appropriate motion, the thinking takes place in the heart. You see, I'm making a motion that indicates that it's my entire person that is involved in this. Because <clears throat> uh, I, in preparation for this sermon, I opened a concordance to the word heart, and the word heart appears hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. And not even one time, as far as I can tell, does it refer to the organ that pumps blood. It always is the way that you think and the things that you feel. So a, a definition of what is meant by the heart, it is the thoughts and emotions that make you who you are and direct the way that you live your life. So I've put, put a fair amount of consideration into that definition. It's not just thoughts. It's not just believing doctrine. Jesus here does not say, blessed are the pure in head, but blessed are the pure in heart. So it's not enough just to believe right doctrine. It's not enough just to be orthodox in, in your thinking and theology. There also needs to be something else, and that something else is that there needs to be appropriate emotion. Now, I think in the way the average American uses the word heart, we're too heavy on the emotional side of things. I love you with all my heart means that I have, I have great emotional attachment to you. And emotion, emotions are part of what the Bible means when it talks about the heart. And when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, it's thoughts and emotions. It's the, the thoughts and emotions that make you who you are and direct you in the way that you live your life. There's also a strong element that this is a part that other people cannot see. So in the secrecy of your heart, you're a certain way. And uh, so I, I can't see what's in your heart. God knows, and I hope that you know. Although I often observe people and think that young man does not know who he is. That young lady does not know who she is. Just so confused and being turned this way and that way. I think that the heart, the thoughts that characterize your heart are primarily patterns of thought. But I also make allowance for emotions, which emotions are thoughts on steroids, thoughts that, that suddenly that suddenly dive into the stream of your thoughts. But I think that for the most part, your heart is that stream of thinking that makes you who you are. I have talked with uh, people whom I believe to be Christians who sometimes are distressed because they will suddenly think thoughts that they find repulsive, maybe sexual, maybe blasphemous, but suddenly there's a thought that comes into their mind. So when, when someone comes to me with that kind of a, a difficulty, I'll, I'll ask them about it and say, well, do you then act on what you've thought? Oh, no, I, I hate it. I put it out. I, I, 
I'm immediately sorry that I thought such a thing. Well, if it's a blasphemous thought, do you immediately say the blasphemy that you were thinking of? Oh, no, I would never say that. And uh, in, in counseling situations like that, I will almost always refer people to a passage in Pilgrim's Progress. So there's a passage in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian is going through the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, this represents an extremely strenuously difficult time in a Christian's life. And while he's going through this valley of the shadow of death, there are some evil spirits who come up behind him and begin whispering things in his ear. And Bunyan says, alas, poor man, he thought they were his own thoughts and it grieved him deeply. He wasn't, he wasn't recognizing the fact that the enemy of his soul has some ability to thrust thoughts into your mind. And so it may be that some of you are dealing with a similar situation. And my counsel to you is, uh, is a question. Are these thoughts that you welcome? Are these thoughts that you say, yeah, I just want to think about that. I want to try to figure out how I can act on that and get away with it without anyone knowing. If that's the way that you're thinking, then you, sh you should be very concerned about your soul. But if these thoughts come into your mind, these thoughts of sexual impurity or these blasphemous thoughts or thoughts of I'm going to do something that you know to be sin, and you immediately say, but I, I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm not going to do that. God, please deliver me from that. I'm sorry I thought such a thing. Then I would say that you need not be in doubt of your salvation because of that. Because I think that the enemy has has the ability to thrust thoughts into, our, into the stream of our thoughts, but it's like, it's like a, a big rock that is thrown in. It doesn't characterize the stream of your thoughts. Of course, there are emotions that, that really are a part of who you are. It's not just the enemy that has made you get angry, or it's not just the enemy that has made you suddenly lust after someone or lust after something. That's really a part of the, the ongoing sinfulness that you deal with. But again, the question is, does that have dominion over you? Is that the thing that controls you? If so, then you're probably not a Christian. But if that's something that you're fighting against and struggling against and pushing away, then I have high hopes for you. If you were not a believer, then you would welcome those thoughts. You would welcome opportunity to to further your experience of those, those sinful ideas and those sinful actions. But if you're thrusting them away, then I think that the Lord has done work in your heart. So heart is not thoughts by themselves. It's not emotions by themselves. It's the thoughts and emotions that make you the person that you are and direct you in the way that you live your life. And so... Jesus, so that's what the heart is. What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? Because there are some people in here who would say, well, there's no way I'll ever receive that blessing because my heart is so impure. So let's think for a bit about what do we mean when we say that something is pure? And there are a couple of negative things, like it is unpolluted. So you're walking out in the woods uh, you're very thirsty, there's a stream that, that comes out of a rock, and you think, wow, can I drink this water? You look, doesn't seem to be any pastures or anything up there on the hill, and 
that, and you think, oh, I think this is pure water. It coming right out of a rock, I'll drink this water because I think it's, I think it's pure water. It's unpolluted. And that is one of the definitions of, of having a pure heart, that your heart is no longer so polluted and corrupted with sin that it is unfit for God. Uh, now, I'll, I'll talk about justification before the sermon is over, but right now, I think that the Bible teaches that sin no longer has dominion over someone who is a Christian. Uh, there, are, there are still sins that we deal with on a daily basis, but they no longer control you the way that they once did. And so your heart is at least in the process of being purified from the, the things that made it dirty. It's interesting how that we talk about dirty words and dirty pictures and dirty deeds. That is a spiritually correct way of thinking about sinful action. It does pollute you. But a pure heart, something that is pure, is no longer under the dominion of pollution. Another negative idea about purity is that it is undiverted. Now, diverted is the idea that it, it is uh, split up into more than one, uh, one object of action. And this is why I read uh, Jesus saying, you cannot serve two masters. You'll, either love, you'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he says, blessed are you when your eye is healthy. That word can be translated single. Blessed are you when your eye is single. Uh, and what that means is you're able to focus on one thing and, and your vision is, is not blurring off so that you see double. Uh, if your vision is so that you're seeing double, then that's, that is an instance of impurity. And that's a danger that we all face when it comes to our hearts, that we're going to try to be devoted to, be wholly devoted to someone other than to the Lord. So purity is to be unpolluted and undiluted is the better word, undiluted. You know, uh, sometimes you people who love strong coffee, you drink coffee that is so diluted, it just seems like someone has waved a can of coffee in the general direction of that, coffee, that water. It's just so weak that you can't really taste the coffee. It's too diluted. And uh, that, that is a, a principle of being impure. You want, you want that coffee just as strong as you can get it. Now, positively, purity, and this is really just two sides of the, two, two, two ways of looking at the same thing. Pure has the idea of it is, it is nothing but, it is solid, it is consistent like solid gold. So if something is solid gold, then it has not been alloyed with other metals to make it stronger, to make it less valuable. It's, it's nothing but gold all the way through. Anywhere you cut it, you're not going to come across a pocket of lead in this solid gold. It's nothing but gold all the way through. And that's one of the, that's one of the uh, meanings of the word pure, that it is solid, that it is consistent, it is persistently pursuing after the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. So we've seen what heart is. We've seen the idea of purity, that it's free from pollution, it's free from distraction, it is uh, solid, uh, devoted, to, devoted to one great purpose in life, namely seeking after the Lord. Now, I think it would help us if we looked at some examples from the Scripture of people who demonstrated these qualities. So in, in the book of Ezra, we read that Ezra devoted himself to do three things. He devoted himself to know the law of the Lord and to understand it and to teach it. To know, to understand, and to teach the law of God. And this became a lifelong obsession with him, so that he was just a man who knew the law of the Lord. Maybe you have sometimes admired the, the knowledge of the scriptures that someone has, and you say, wow, I'd give my life to know the scriptures as well as that woman. And the, an appropriate answer would be, that's what it cost her. That's, that's what you've got to do. You've got to be a person with a, a single focus if you're going to know the law of the Lord and understand it and teach it the way Ezra did. And then uh, coming into the New Testament, there was a time when some friends brought a man named Nathaniel to Jesus. And as Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said, here is an Israelite in whom there is nothing false or in whom there is no guile. So guile is that... Uh, that quality of pretending to do one thing while you are something else. It's, it's the essence of being a hypocrite. But Jesus sees Nathanael coming and says, this guy's not a hypocrite. Here comes an Israelite in whom there is nothing false, in whom there is no guile. He's someone who's consistently living out the way that he thinks and the way that he feels, and it's good. Or you think about that time when Jesus was in the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary were there, and Martha was greatly distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. But Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. Mary, in that instance, is exemplifying a pure heart. Martha, on the other hand, is distracted. Of course, she wants to listen to Jesus, but she's distracted with all the preparations that have to be made. And Jesus had to rebuke her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it shall not be taken from her. Or think about the Apostle Paul, when in the book of Philippians he says, This one thing I do. Ah, you see, that's it. That's the pure heart. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But as always, when we're studying these Beatitudes, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us the greatest example. And the greatest example of the Jesus, uh, the past, at least the passage that I'm going to read to you, is an Old Testament prophecy that was made about him. And so if you have your Bibles handy, turn to Isaiah chapter 50. I want to read, read to you what it says here about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he demonstrated a purity of heart, a singleness of, of purpose and life. Isaiah chapter 50. Beginning with verse 4. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. So this is 
This is Isaiah writing, but he is writing, putting these words into the mouth of the Messiah. So we can hear Jesus saying, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Right there, there's, there is a, a minor key that is introduced into the song. For all we know, through verse 4 and that first line of verse 5, God is just teaching him wonderfully thrilling, emotionally exhilarating truths. But now God reveals something to him that requires submission. And the Lord says, I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So there was a time when the Lord God revealed to his son Jesus that he was going to have to go through this, and Jesus said, I'll do it. His heart was single. His heart was pure. Verse 7, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. I've set my face like a flint. In a world where the, uh, the hardest metals were probably copper and bronze, flint was perhaps the hardest substance in the ancient world. So when Jesus says, I set my face like a flint, it's a way of saying... I stubbornly, in a good way, I stubbornly made up my mind that I was going to do this. And when you set your face like a flint, you are anticipating that there will be discouragements, there will be uh, hurdles that you have to get over, but when your face is set like a flint, you keep doing what you have resolved to do. And this is a manifestation of a pure heart. He was a single, a man who had the single goal in mind of bringing glory to God through accomplishing what God had given him to do. So we've seen several examples of people who demonstrated purity of heart. Now let's ask and answer the question, why are they blessed? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I think that there is much of seeing God that is metaphorical. I don't know what lies in the future. Uh, You know, the Lord told Moses, no man can see me and live. You cannot see my face and live. And so in our present state, we are not going to literally see Yahweh face to face, or it would kill us. But there are ways that God manifests himself now so that we understand him better than we did before. And sometimes we use seeing as a metaphor for understanding. You explain something to me and I say, I don't quite understand. So you go a little further and I say, okay, now I see. I see. It's a way of saying, now I understand. And so there is a, 
an understanding of God that is granted to those who are pure in heart so that we, in our our minds, don't visualize a picture of Him. We're not constructing a painting or a, a, a statue of Him in our minds, but we learn more about His character. We see Him more. We understand Him better. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it's not just that we see things about God, but that we are we are in a position now, as a result of what God has done in us, that we, we know God and we enjoy being with Him. We know God and we enjoy being with Him. Now, this is a question to assess your spiritual health. When God reveals Himself to you, do you thrust Him away and say, I'll think about that later, or do you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening? I want to be with you. I want to hear you. I, if there are things in my life that are wrong, I just say with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want you to teach me. I want you to change me. I want you to rule over me. Is that the way that you respond? If so, then I have high hopes for your spiritual condition. But if you are, like I was before I was converted, I don't want to think about that and just thrust it away so that I can get back to thinking about the things that I loved. Then I have poor hopes for your spiritual condition. It is a blessing to be able to see God and to enjoy being with Him. And if you're pure in heart, then you will begin to see God in places that you never saw Him before. You'll see Him revealing Himself in nature. Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow, flowers with brighter colors shine. Since I know as now I know, I am His and He is mine. And then more familiar to us is that hymn, This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. I I am seeing the manifestations of God's glory in ways that I've never seen it before. You see God in nature. You see God in providence. You see that uh, it was the Lord's mercy that caused your car to break down just right there and just right then and not somewhere else or someplace else. You see God's mercy in in the unfoldings of His his sovereign supernatural providence in overruling events for your good and for His glory. And then, please God, you see God also in the evidence of the changes that are brought about in your own life. That you're not what you hope to be. But praise God, you're not what you once were. The Lord has made a difference, and you're seeing God make a difference in your life. So all of these are metaphorical seeing, sightings of God, that we we understand more about Him, we enjoy being with Him, we recognize manifestations of His presence in nature and in providence and even in our own lives. What's going to happen when we get to heaven? I don't know. 
The Bible says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know even as we are known. I, I don't know what kind of vision we're going to have when we have our spiritual bodies. It may be so much better than what we have now that we wouldn't possibly trade it to go back to what we're seeing now. Apparently, there is some kind of spiritual vision that is occasionally granted to people even on earth. You remember that story of Elijah, Elisha when the Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, had his armies surrounding him, and <clears throat> Elisha's servant is upset. What are we going to do? Elisha's just going about the business of the morning, and Elisha says, open his eyes, Lord. And God opens his eyes, and he sees that the hills are full of spiritual beings and chariots of fire. They were there. Elisha could see them. I've never seen it in my life. But we have a couple of instances of things like that in the Bible where people are able to see the spiritual realm. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see when we get to heaven. But I, I am confident of this, that the experience and enjoyment of God that we will have in heaven is better than even seeing God captures. It, it'll be better if it's not just, you know, I look out here and I see Jim Bob. If it's not exactly that, it's going to be something better than that, that we will see, see the Lord and enjoy His presence. So, how can we become more pure in heart? Well, first of all, God initiates an action that makes you even want it. If you don't want to be pure in heart, you are pursuing what you do want. You can't say, well, if, if God would zap me, <clears throat> then I would suddenly want him. You are pursuing what you do want. Do you want to know God? Do you want to enjoy God? Let me have you turn to a passage of Scripture that addresses the issue. James chapter 4. <clears throat> so God initiates, but we cooperate. This is brought out in James chapter 4. Let's start with, uh, <clears throat> with verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners. Because your hands are dirty. Cleanse your hands. You sinners. And purify. See there's our word. Purify your hearts. You double minded. That double minded is the. 
the dispersion, the diversion that I was talking about. Stop being double-minded. Stop trying to live for this world and hoping that you'll just make it to heaven when you die. Unite my heart to fear your name, David prays. I see that there is such a tendency that I have to, to go in so many different directions and neglect the one thing that is necessary. And so pray with David, unite my heart to fear your name. And for those of you who are not yet converted and who do not have a, a, a desire to see God, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Only God can purify a heart. You're not going to accomplish this on your own. And for a heart that is completely pure, what can wash away my dirty sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. We're going to uh, observe the Lord's Supper. This is not so that you can become a Christian. This is a meal that is for people who have already become Christians.